Would you open God's precious holy word to Psalm 64? God answers man's word with his word. The evidence, of course, is overwhelming that David is the psalmist here. And apparently, it is a psalm when he is hiding from Saul and his men. So let's look at it here together. It begins with prayer. A prayer for protection. Now, for the conductor, Song of David, Psalm of David, Miss Pa. Uh, hear Elohim my voice in my prayer from the fear of the enemy guard my life prayer the word here in uh, it's it's uh, the word in the Hebrew talks about it's a word of anxiety or, or complaint a troubled a troubled request. It may be translated meditation. It is a prayer, but it's a troubled prayer. Apparently, since he says, hear Elohim, my voice, he's crying out to God vocally, orally. He cries out to God, to Elohim. Because he's filled with anxiety, or basically, he's afraid of the enemy. David, I've said this many times, is one of the most emotional characters in the scriptures. And I guess he's seen that way because there's so much written about him and by him. And he doesn't mind. Of course, we saw... On Wednesday night, in the last words of David, that is the last written words, last inspired words, we saw that what David wrote, he wrote by divine inspiration. That means this is the word of God. This is what God told David to pray. This is how I want you to pray to me, David. You need to tell me you're afraid. I know you're afraid. You need, you need to come to me even though the only voice you have is a voice of anxiety. You need to come to me not just because there are times in which you are joyful and are happy and would glory in the Lord, but there are those times certainly when you are troubled and even filled with fear. God knows if we're afraid, may as well confess it. God knows if we feel overwhelmed with anxiety and trouble, so we may as well express it, not just that, cry it out. No doubt David is in one of those situations where he's, he's uh, trying to avoid, even in hiding, as other Psalms tell us, and even what we read about in Samuel, times where he hides from, Samuel, uh, from uh, Saul and Saul's men. 
But in those places where he finds himself alone, he would cry out to God. So this is not unusual for David. He's concerned for his life, his very life. So here comes, here comes his anxiety. Here come his complaints or his, his, the, the points of his troubled heart. Hide me from the secret plots of evildoers. There are, there are people who are plotting against him and he has discovered that they're trying to hide from him and do it. They're trying to do it in secret, but he also knows them as people of iniquity, men of iniquity. Hide me from the secret plots of evildoers. And here's what they're plotting. Number one here is the rebellion, a rebellion against David from the rebellion of workers of iniquity. David had a smashing start to his career. Killed Goliath, just a kid, killed Goliath. And Saul had made these promises about whoever kills Goliath. So he was the recipient of these promises. Then Saul immediately, as you know, becomes jealous and, and uh, even filled with hatred toward David. And Saul would be surrounded by his yes men who would agree to work with him to undo David. So for all of the popularity <clears throat> that David had, remember Saul even brought him into his, to his table and to his court. And <clears throat> he didn't realize that he was actually showing David how to run a royal court. But he, be, he becomes critical of David even to the point, and of course Saul begins to lose his mind in a sense, and he, he threw that spear at, at David, trying to kill him, you remember? So these workers of iniquity were working in concert with Saul, plotting <clears throat> secretly to rebel against David, who otherwise was a very popular person. Now, how are they going to steal his popularity? Well, they're going to tell lies on him. They're going to paint a picture that is false and spread it from the very court of Saul. We've talked about, a lot, about that a lot of times, how <clears throat> probably one of the major, uh, major tools, uh, thank you, major weapons <clears throat> against David were the lies that they would tell. So here it is, rebellion, and it would work from their words. So look at the next verse. Now my verses are one ahead of yours <coughs> because <coughs> verses one and two in other than the Hebrew Bible are together, but in the Hebrew Bible, they're separated. So part of the rebellion is they sharpen, it continues in verse four, sharpen their tongue like the sword who aimed a bitter word like their arrow. My daddy used to take me to Daisy Barbershop, downtown Gadsden. They had, let me think about this. 
They had at least 10. They may have had 12 chairs. And they all dressed alike. They were older men and they had visors. These little green thing visors like sunglasses or something. But their hair, it was just a visor that went around. And they had garters on their sleeves. They dressed in white shirts and ties. Daisy Barbershop. And I would sit there because the place was always full. This was the barbershop in Gadsden, downtown. These guys would come in there and you'd get in your waiting chair, you know, a place to wait. I'm just a little bitty kid and I'm in there with daddy. I'm watching everything that's going on, scared to death. They always, usually on a Saturday when daddy would take me, it was his off day and Big black and white TV playing the Yankees. They always were playing the New York Yankees. And I know that the Yankees don't play all year, but that's the only thing I remember is the Yankees. And uh, Coca-Cola machine, and you put your six cents in and you had to push a crank down, push a crank so that the thing would roll around and you'd open the door and reach in and get a little six ounce bottle of Coca-Cola. Daddy would always get me one because it'd shut me up, keep me quiet. And I had to sit there and wait until it was my time. But the frightening thing was all of those guys had these, these straps. I guess they were leather and they had these, these uh, razors. Every, every guy Every time they changed to the next person, they started whacking that leather thing with that ring. Just get it real, real sharp. That made me nervous because you could tell. You could just look at a razor and you could tell that thing is sharp. And they would always keep it sharp for the next guy. And so I had enough sense to know that I needed to stay still or the guy would cut my head off. So they would buzz around here and then they would get a little brush in that cup and all around my neck and this way. Then he'd bring out his razor, pull my ear down and scrape that part, scrape this part. You could hear it on the back of the neck. I I I was just thinking, well, daddy will help me if they start making me bleed. And scrape that little hair off my neck and get it all neat all the way around. And they sharpened it for everybody that came in. This is much like here. The tongue is a razor. It's like a sword. It is dangerous and can cut whatever this way or that if it's kept sharp. And so these men, David presents the picture here that they kept their tongues sharp like a sword and they would aim a bitter word like their arrow. Mara, it's the same, it means bitterness. You remember the water of bitterness that came forth in the, over in the law of Moses. Same word. Very, very distasteful. So we learn here from the language 
Their job was to shoot words or thrust with words or slash with words like a sword and or like an arrow and put those words of bitterness here and there. Say whatever it took to plant a bitter thought about David because Saul was jealous and he didn't want people to favor David over himself. So these are his workers of iniquity who aimed a bitter word like an arrow to shoot at the innocent or blameless, it could be, it, it, it could be translated blameless, in secret places. You can't hide from them. David hadn't done anything. His life wasn't anything like what they were saying he was like. Didn't matter to them. This was their way to initiate his destruction. So from places where you didn't expect it, they shot their words of bitterness suddenly. And they thought they could get away with it. They had no fear in doing this. So their words were leading them into plots of violence. And David knows that. Very young. David, a young David. They strengthened the evil word for themselves. They talk secretly to hide snares. They say, who will see us? Well, they, they, this is what a lot of people do. And this is a big mistake. They, for whatever reason, discount the presence of God. God is watching. You've heard, you remember the old joke about guy breaking in and the parrot says, you know, Jesus is watching you. Jesus is watching you. And there was this big mean Doberman pincher with a collar that said Jesus. Well, God knew what was going on. How or how would David fight their words? How could he come against their words? Secretly, who will see us? They devise iniquities. They have completed a diligent search hidden within man and in the depths of the heart. Coming, coming from the heart of man, whatever they could think of. So how does God respond? David is in prayer, remember? Protect me, guard me, hide me. I'm afraid. Words that are men's words, of course, cannot stand up to God's word. And Elohim will shoot at them with an arrow. And they will be suddenly wounded. God's word in response to man's word. And guess, what, guess which one is the strongest? And they will be suddenly wounded. That which they hoped would make him stumble, their tongue brought upon them. And all who see them will 
shake their heads. Somehow, God controlled the whole thing so that they were discovered in their lies. Somehow it was revealed that the bitter words that they were shooting at David actually came back upon them because God proclaimed it to be so. Now how that happened, I don't know. There could be other people who came to David's uh, who came to, to David's defense. There could have been people who heard these people who thought they were in secret making their plans to destroy David and other people would come forth and say, listen, we heard these guys and what they were planning to do. And then the word of bitterness would come back upon them and not upon David. But God, however it worked out, God took care of it. Then all men feared and they declared the work of Elohim and understood his deed. So what happens for the sake of David? God makes it a testimony for his power and for the, the safety and loftiness of his servant, David. That which was meant for evil, God made sure that it came forth for good. This is, this is what God does for his people. He hears us. We pray we're helpless. God knows how to help us. And that's what he did for David in such an early day. All men feared. So now instead of tearing down David, they actually built him up. And it was made to realize that David was really the man after God's heart. And so they testified to this is a work of Elohim. And they understood the work of God. How then do the righteous respond to such a, a glorious intervention of God? Here it is in the last verse. The righteous will rejoice in Yahweh and they will take shelter or they will trust in him. So this is a great lesson for everybody, including us. We have our troubles. We have our times of anxiety. There are events, occasions in our lives where we know people have misunderstood us or they don't like us. They're going to say things that are harmful, that aren't true. And those are very difficult things to fight against. You can't fight it. But if you leave the fight, if you leave the fight up to God, God knows that God... <laughs> God is well experienced in handling such situations of trouble and, and anxiety. And so what does this do for those who are trusting in Yahweh? Rejoice, they rejoice in Yahweh. And from then on, they trust him. They take shelter. They take refuge in Yahweh, in, in the Lord, in, in Yahweh, our great God. And he can protect us. He can do anything for us. All of the upright of heart will glory in him. And therein is the end. All of these other things were the means to the end. But at the end of all things is the glory of God. We pass through life, through the history of man. 
And we have observed in history, we read the word of God, how even God's own people turned on him and, and how they were tricked into certain things and how the enemy always seemed to have the upper hand all the way through the Old Testament. And yet God had a covenant and he would not forsake his covenant. So then the wars have been fought. People have been unjustly killed. There are people, the Bible says all men are liars. So at any point in time, you're subject to being lied about or lied against. All the way through history, the glory seems to always go to the Gentiles, but it's a passing glory. It's futile. It's vain. It's, it's like smoke or a mist and it's gone. It's just gone. Regardless of how glorious they were in their day, the kings, the nations, whatever, it was gone. They were used by God to do something in behalf of his people Israel. And it appeared as though their leaders and their people and their nation and their armies were so mighty and powerful. But then they were gone. They were gone. Moving on through to the personal injustices that we seem to have to suffer with and the horrible world that we live in. We, I've, I've learned something and you probably know it as well as I do. We were, we had been, we've been watching a, a TV series. It was on some years ago. It seemed it was interesting. We watched it. We got through two seasons, I guess. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there was this big deal about gay people and the injustice against gay people and the stars of the show were taking that side and all that. And it just came out of nowhere, you know. Now, that's a microcosm of what goes on in the world. Everything that is evil and wrong, it's if you stand against evil and wrong, you are being called evil and wrong. And there are all kinds of, of uh, descriptive terms are used against those who stand with the Bible. It's just, it's just unthinkable that the Christians are the enemies these days. I've heard it. I've read their papers. I've listened to their debates, this world in which we live. And we think of all of the injustices through all of history that have happened. But our call is to put our trust in Yahweh. This is not a surprise to Yahweh. This is something that, that uh, is, is written as it was in the Days of Noah and in the days of Lot. And all you have to do is read about the time in which those people lived. And it doesn't take much of an imagination to see the same parallel that has been unleashed in the world today in an unrestrained fashion. And we think it's overwhelming. How do we fight? We don't. We don't fight the battle. We trust in Yahweh. He knows, he knows how to fight battles. And he's best 
when we finally come to the realization that we're nothing. He does his best work when we admit we can't do anything at all. That's when Yahweh really goes to work for us. So what happens? I mentioned the means to the end. The means to the end were how these people came up against. David was afraid and they came up against him with all these bitter words and secret plots and stuff. And then suddenly Yahweh intervened and it all turned around and those bitter arrows reversed their paths and came back upon those workers of iniquity. And Yahweh was exalted and people put their trust in him and David was exalted in his day. And the end of it all, someday, every human being from the first one until the last one at his time will stand before God. And then there will be the final judgment at the great white throne. And all of the wicked dead will be forced to stand in his presence. And the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. That's too late for those guys at the great white throne. But it doesn't keep this from happening. The acknowledgement of truth. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is where it's all happening. This is where it's all headed. Why did these people die? Why was there injustice? Why were there wars? Why did the mean people enslave the poor, impoverished, good people? Why have these injustices occurred in this world? We don't understand it now. But we have this promise that all of the upright in heart at the end of it all, we'll glorify God for it. Every, every question will be answered. What seems to be injustice and inequity in this present life will be revealed to be the great plan of God according to his purpose so that he can be exalted and glorified and even the wicked dead will have to kneel at the name of Jesus and proclaim this truth that God is just. He did what he said he would do. That'll be their last testimony when they're cast into the lake of fire. That'll be it. And all of the upright will rejoice. And glory in him that his word is true, that his compassion is real, that his grace is exact, and that life with him is ours 
All to his glory. All to his glory. At this moment in time, it's impossible for us to comprehend such a time, such a thing. Such an exaltation of the Lord. Such a glory in him. But we have this promise, all of the upright will glory in him. Let's pray together. We'll be through tonight. Father God in heaven, Lord, how we love you. We love your word. We love how you have your open arms and you're ready to receive us. You're ready to hear all of our troubles and our problems. And ready to give us your great promise to shelter us and guard us. Help us to grow in our faith, Lord, that in everything, regardless of how great or small, the things in life, that we will trust you in it, whatever it is. In Jesus' name, amen.